God is good. Give them a hand. Isn't that a great song? I appreciate that. Amen. Well, if, if you can't preach after that, you can't preach. Amen. Can you say with me, he's my hope. Now, how about he's my deliverer? Is he a deliverer? Well, I'm going to talk today about the God who delivers. I began a series last week that is called The God Who, and then dot, 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 or ellipsis, dot, 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 because we're going to be covering some things in the upcoming weeks on who God is and what he does, because he does what he does based on who he is, all right? So he's a deliverer. Now, I am so thankful that the Bible doesn't sugarcoat the heroes that are tucked away in its pages. We're told the truth about Moses. We're told the truth about Samson, the he-man with the she-weakness, Moses the murderer, Paul the persecutor, Peter the denier. We're told the truth about them. Well, Paul today is going to go ahead and get autobiographical with us and tell us the honest truth about a terrible trial he went through. Now, how many of you have had a trial since you got saved? Just want to be sure I'm talking to human beings today. All right, now let's read Paul's trial here. First, 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10. We do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life, Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God, who does what? Raises the dead. Who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. So Paul was just all wrapped up in God's deliverance. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you that you're the God of deliverance today and that the, the anointing of deliverance is here in and through your name. And I pray that you will bring to us a fresh word, anoint my lips, anoint my tongue, anoint this word, that it will not just be a sermon, but a message hot off the platter of heaven, straight to the hearts of your people. And I thank you for increasing our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, preach to your neighbor a little bit and say, he's the God who delivers, and you can be seated. God bless you. Now, as you read through the Bible, you cannot escape constant stories of people being delivered. He's, he's just the God who, who delivers. We see it in the Old and New Testaments over and over again. Repeatedly, God intervenes in seemingly hopeless situations. When it looks like the end has come and the curtain is coming down. And then suddenly, God delivers. One of the famous stories, most famous, Moses standing at the sea. They've been delivered from Egypt, but right before they are able to cross the sea, here comes Pharaoh up behind them. Moses has a million people around him, in front of him is the impassable, impossible sea. Behind him is Pharaoh's chariots gaining steam, coming up fast. No way out. 
except God. And God sends a strong east wind. It strikes that water, divides it in half, and the people cross over, and they are delivered. We see Daniel. Daniel refuses to obey the king's edict, and he is thrown into a den of lions. They're hungry, and they can't wait for the next meal. And here comes Daniel, an old man. It looks like the end once again. Curtains. This is the way this great prophet is going to die. But it says God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and Daniel lived all the way through the night to the next morning. He got delivered, and those who had turned him over were thrown into the lion's den, and there was no angel there for them. God delivered his man. And you go jump in the New Testament, and you come across Simon Peter, arrested. He is told, tomorrow, we're going to take your head off. We took James' life. He was martyred. You're next. And the Bible says that night, while he slept on the prison floor, an angel of the Lord came into the room. The room lit up. The angel struck him, as in with a sword, to wake him up. He couldn't believe what he was seeing. And the angel opened the prison door and he went out and he was delivered. When it looked like there was no answer, God delivered. And I want you to know, folks, that we serve a God of deliverance. He's not a helpless God. He's not a God off throwing other stars into space. He is a God totally focused on his people. And God still delivers. Can you say with me, God is a God who delivers. I want you to know that today. Whatever you're experiencing, whatever you're facing, you have faith in a God who delivers. Now, what is deliverance? When we say the word deliverance, well, Webster's defines it this way. Rescue from captivity, from hardship, or from domination by evil. I like that. A deliverance is a rescue. A deliverance happens when there's no way out unless you are actually plucked out of the problem, plucked out of the danger by somebody who has the power to do it because you are powerless. That's deliverance. But the Greek word carries a component that's even more meaningful. The Greek word actually means to draw or to rescue a person to and for the one that delivers them. So when God delivers you and me, he doesn't just deliver us to go off and do our own thing as soon as we're delivered. But God reaches in to our horrible pit. He reaches down into the miry clay in which we're sinking, and he pulls us out in a mighty deliverance that we may be his and for him and serve him. He delivers us for himself. So let me tell you something. You're no longer your own. Let me tell you, dear Christian friend, when Jesus saved you, you were bought with a price and you are no longer your own. Now you are the Lord's. Take his yoke upon you and learn of him, for he is meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your soul when you live for him. We have been called as Christians no longer to live for ourselves, but thank God one day, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And why did he do it? He did it so that we would be for him, for him, serving him. Even in the Lord's Prayer, when the Lord's Prayer ends and Jesus said, here's the way I want you to pray. Pray this way. Lead me not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. Of course, the Greek there is the evil one. Here's what it really means. Deliver me to yourself and deliver me for yourself. So we are his and he is ours and his banner over us is love. And we have been called to live for him and serve him. And if that blesses you like it blesses me, give the Lord a hand of praise because that's good news. Amen. Our God is a God of deliverance. David, you can't read the Psalms without encountering David bragging on the God of deliverance. Psalms 18, two, David says, the Lord is my rock and he's my fortress and he is my deliverer. Not just a deliverer, but he makes it personal. He's my deliverer. And can I tell you today, he's your deliverer. In Psalms 40, verse 17, he says, but I am poor and needy, but the Lord thinks upon me. You, Lord, are my help and my deliverer. Psalms 34, verse 4 is one of my favorites. I memorized this one long ago. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fear. See, you can't seek the Lord without the Lord reaching down and delivering you. The closer you get to Jesus, the closer you get to your deliverance. So he said, I sought the Lord, and here's what he did for me. I sought the Lord, and he heard me. And when he heard me, look what he did. He took away from me all my fears. He delivered me from a spirit of fear. Because God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. Psalms 34, verse 6, this poor man cried out. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. When the prophet Isaiah prophesied about the coming Savior, he was given a vision of what the Savior's ministry would look like. And Isaiah, this mighty prophet, wrote it down. And it's actually Jesus speaking through him in the first person prophetic. Listen to what Jesus says through Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do what? To preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. So look at this. The ministry of Jesus was a ministry of deliverance. Has it ever occurred to you, this really hit me recently, that in the Old Testament, you never see demons coming out of anybody. In the Old Testament, you never see deliverance ministry. But Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. There he fights the devil in the final ultimate showdown in the desert. And it says he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness, but he came out in the power of the Spirit. And immediately, demons begin to manifest in people and speak through people. And, be, and they were bound by Jesus, cast out by Jesus. They were terrified of Jesus. They begged Jesus not to torment them. And so with the arrival of Jesus, we see the arrival of a deliverance ministry, a ministry of deliverance from the power of evil. Folks, can I tell you that we are on the win-win side? I've read the back of the book, and I'm going to tell you what it says. Satan doesn't win. Men don't win. But Jesus Christ comes again on the stage of history, and he wins. 
But my point is this, when Jesus showed up, suddenly the devil had to come out from behind the bushes. The devil had to manifest himself. The devil was exposed and revealed and defeated by this mighty one who was anointed to deliver, to rescue. We serve a mighty Christ. He's not a weak Christ. He's not a Christ that we need to be ashamed of. But let me tell you something. Our world needs a delivering Christ. They don't need a wimpy, religious, milk-toast Christ preached by a defeated church. They need a living, mighty, devil-stomping Savior who can deliver. And our Lord has a ministry of deliverance. He delivers us from ourselves. Start right there. You know, you're your greatest problem. And, and so am I. How many times have I said, Lord, please help me to be delivered from me. And you know what God wants to do with you and me? Just crucify us. That's good. Just crucify us. And then we're, we're in better shape when we're crucified. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ lives within me. You do best when you're crucified. You're the one who gets you in all the trouble you're in anyway. If it wasn't for you, the devil would have nothing to work with. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Come on. Now, he delivers us, our deliverer delivers us from habits, from addictions that nothing can break but the anointing that breaks the yoke. The delivering power of Christ. Addictions, fear. He delivers from fear. He delivers from lust. He delivers from hate. He delivers from pride. He delivers from anything and everything that holds us bound, that Satan uses to chain us up and bind us and muzzle us and defeat us. God delivers us from. I cried out to the Lord and he heard me and delivered me also, brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. And he set my feet upon a rock. And he established my goings. And he put a new song in my mouth. Many will see it and hear it and shall trust in the Lord. He brings you up out of a pit that you can't bring yourself up out of. And some of you are in a pit like that today. And, and I got good news for you today. There's a deliverer in the house. There's a deliverer in the house. If I didn't believe that, I would quit preaching today and go home and watch reruns of I Love Lucy till I died. But it is true. And Christ is now risen. And he is a mighty deliverer. And he breaks the devil's back. And he shattered his teeth on Calvary. And thank God we serve a victorious Savior who now himself holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He took them away from the devil. Now, in our text... Paul testifies to having been delivered from a horrific trial. He tells the truth about it. How bad was it? Well, he's good with words. Holy Spirit was good with words. Here's what he said. We're hard. We were, this trial was so ferocious that we were pressed out of measure. This means that they were borne down, that they were weighed down by a great calamity. We don't know what it was. We can surmise as to what it was from the book of Acts, but we don't know for sure. Could have been many things, but suffice it to say, 
it, it pressed them out of measure. It's like a container that you keep filling it until it bursts because it can't handle anymore. He's saying, I, I couldn't handle anymore. He says, above strength, we ran out of strength. We got to the place where we couldn't bear anymore. Our strength was worn down and our strength was used up. We couldn't take another step. We were exhausted and expired. People say, well, God won't give you more than you can handle. Yes, he will. Well, Pastor Jeff, that's not scriptural because I've read the scriptures. You're reading it wrong. God often allows things that are more than we can handle. So we will learn to lean on the one who can handle what we cannot handle. So our natural strength runs out and that's when his kicks in and that's what we're about to see. But he most certainly will allow you to go through a trial that presses you out of measure and above your strength. And I'd be a liar if I told you otherwise because I've gone through such. He said it got so bad we despaired even of life. We had the sentence of death, he says. The sentence of death. The word sentence there is synonymous with verdict. We had the, a verdict. It, it, it means that Paul felt as if he was in a courtroom and the judge had said, you're going to be executed. A sentence of death. He, he said, this trial felt like it was our home going. It felt like this was the end. We thought it was curtains. We thought we were going home. We thought this was the final hurrah. In his mind's eye, death was imminent. Now notice, weighed down, without strength, can't take another step, feeling like we were dying, feeling like it was over. This describes the severity of the trial, and we think that we're having a trial in rush hour traffic. But you know what? There are people among us right now who are in a trial like this. Pressed down, weighed down. Don't feel like you can take another step. You feel tired, you feel weary. You, you, you feel like this is it. And, 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 and there may be a few here who, who feel like you're looking death in the face. And, and Paul has a word for you today. The Bible has a word for you today. Now, Paul is the one who, by the Spirit of God, wrote Romans 8.28. We all know Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God. God says Paul takes every trial, even these severe ones like this, and, and, and God puts his hands around that trial and forces that trial, shapes that trial to work for our good because you're called of him. God never wastes a pain. He takes every trial, every test, every fiery oven, every deep valley, and he says, you will serve my purpose in their life. And the trial must submit. And Satan must submit to it. Now, the one that wrote that verse is in this severe trial now. Now, how did it work out for his good? How did God say, all right, I'm going to shape this where it works for Paul's good. I'm going to make it serve my purpose in his life. Well, it's easy to see. It's right here. Here's the first thing that happened. God did deliver Paul. But here's how he delivered him. He delivered him first with a realization. He had an epiphany. He had, a, he, he had an eye. Something occurred to him in a fresh and a powerful way. Here's what it was. He said, I learned 
that we should not trust in ourselves. I learned that we should not trust in ourselves. Now let me clarify this and balance it out. That doesn't mean that you're supposed to be walking around insecure with a bad case of tuckhead. You know what tuckhead is? These people that can't look you in the eye because they feel so terrible about themselves. That's not it. That's, that's of the devil. That's not of God. That's not what he's saying. You're not to walk around insecure. He's not saying you're, you're not supposed to have confidence. I'm confident in, in certain things as long as I know God's with me. It means that there are some things only God can do. Now catch that. Paul said, I have learned in this trial that there are some things I cannot do. And one of them is I cannot deliver myself from something like this. This is going to have to be a God thing or I'm not coming out. This is going to have to be a God thing or I'm not going to recover. This is going to have to be a God thing or I'm going to die. This is going to have to be a God thing or this is it. Paul came to the place of realizing it's not going to be. And and believe me, Paul the Apostle was incredibly competent, brilliant, educated, respected among his peers, beyond his peers. He, 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 he succeeded beyond those who were his own age, who had gone through the same schools. He was brilliant beyond his peers, all kinds of ability. But he said, here's what I've learned in this trial. If I come out of this, it's not going to be by my brains, not by my natural strength, not my talents, not my wit. Nothing of me or by me can be used in this situation to deliver me. I'm learning in the middle of this trial not to lean on me, but to lean on him. This great man's formidable self-sufficiency melted away like candle wax in a hot sun in the presence of this great trial. His self-confidence just withered. He was broken. He was put down. He was on his knees, on his face. Now, let me share with you a Christian truth. It is the work of the Holy Spirit from the moment you and I are saved to help you and me transition from self-sufficiency to God-sufficiency. Now, I'm going to say that again because we, we don't really understand this, a lot of us in the church, because America, the American culture says it's all about you, and you're your own man, your own woman, self-made man, self-made woman, which is pure, unadulterated hogwash. Nobody is their own person. You're either serving Satan or you're serving Christ, says Scripture, not Jeff. So let me say it again. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. He comes into our lives as soon as we're saved, and and he begins to do many things. He deals with the idols in our life. He gets sin out of our life. He begins to develop the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And one of the things he begins to do with our faith is he transitions us from self-sufficiency to God-sufficiency, where more and more we lean on him and less and less we lean on us. Now, before coming to Jesus Christ, we all learn to trust in ourselves. I left my home uh, at a pretty young age, and I learned to be very self-sufficient and, how, and kind of street smart, how to get things that I needed and, and whatnot. And boy, did God pulverize that after I got saved. 
But I can tell you, we, we trust in many things. We trust in, in looks, in talent, in wit, in intelligence. We trust our own business ability. We place our trust in money or charm or popularity or a way with words. We lean on our natural strengths. We, 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 we believe that we can get us out of anything that we got ourselves into. And then we come into a trial where there is no way out and we cannot fix it. And then we've got to do what Paul did. He said, I've learned to no longer trust in myself because the Holy Spirit comes along. He begins to knock out from under us all the fleshly props we have leaned on and trusted in our whole life. He said, I want you to, instead of leaning on yourself, I want you to lean on me. God wants our trust to shift from ourselves to him. Paul realized in a fresh way what Proverbs 21, 31 says. Listen to this. This is a great proverb. It says, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. Can you say with me, deliverance is of the Lord. In other words, you may have all kinds of natural advantages and natural ability, symbolized in a strong war horse. But in the battle, the things we really need to be free from, we can't do it. Not me, not myself, not I. The only thing that can set me free is the one who was anointed to preach deliverance to the captives. He breaks the yoke. He breaks the power of sin. He chases Satan out of our life. He raises us out of the ash heap into his destiny for us. It is only him and by him, and through him. This realization about, I'm not leaning on me, but I'm leaning on him, it's all through Paul's writings. Listen to this. My, Jesus said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your ability. Did he say that? He said, in your weakness, when you are just like Paul described, Beat down, can't take another step, weak, trembling, shaky. He says, that's when my strength, my power, my wisdom, my word comes to you. And I bring you up and I bring you out of the horrible pit and I bring you out of the miry clay and I set your feet on a rock and I make your going stable and I give you a new song. Mm, I tell you, this moves me today. I feel like I'm about to jump up and grab that ceiling, but I can't. But I wish I could. Because I'm talking to you today about, listen, we don't serve a religion. We serve a mighty Christ. A, a, a Christ who delivers. He, Paul wrote, he said, he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He said, this is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses for when I am weak, that is when I am strong because when I am weak, that is when his strength manifests. Even Jesus talked about the necessity of leaning on him. And even Jesus said, you can't do it on your own. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit for apart from me. Listen to these words. This is Jesus, apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, Pastor Jeff, I believe I can go out and change my tire today. I believe I can put the key in the ignition and drive home. Yes, you can. But when it comes to spiritual things, the deep things of life, the things that really matter, 
We can't do anything apart from abiding in the vine. And his strength becomes ours. His peace becomes ours. His character becomes ours. His likeness becomes ours as we abide in the vine. You know, the Bible says it can even be dangerous for you to lean on you. The Bible says and warns that you can't trust in your own heart. Listen to this proverb. Chapter 28, verse 26. He that trusts in his own heart is a fool. You didn't know that was in there, did you? But whoever walks wisely, he shall be delivered. So the Bible is telling us there that if you go by what your heart is telling you you should do, without consulting the Word of God, you're a fool. Let me give you an example. Pastor Jeff, I've met this man, and I am just in love. It's the love of Christ. And then I say, well, is he a believer? No. But I know that my love is going to change him. I feel such an anointing when I'm around him. I just know that God has called me to be his missionary, to be his Savior, to lead him and guide him to the still waters. <laughs> and the pastures of tender grass. I am his answer. And I want to say to them, no, you're not. You're a fool. Because <laughs> the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And see, so here's what we do. We put emotion over truth. And, but the Bible says that truth trumps emotion. So the Bible says, here you are, you're all in love and you're, and you're just believing that you're God's answer to this person. And, and, and then God comes along and says, what are you even doing with them if they're not saved? And we go, I don't like truth. I like emotion. I like romance. Pastor Jeff, don't you believe in romance? I do believe in romance, but I don't believe in stupid romance. <laughs> you got to forgive me. I have fun up here. But you see what I'm saying? We, we, we think emotion trumps truth. But in God's way of thinking, truth is always dominant over emotion. So you can't trust in your heart. He that trusts in his own heart is a fool. Our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked, the Bible says. They have been skewed and affected by the fall. You can't trust your own feelings or emotions to guide you into the way of truth. I, I guarantee you nothing will deceive you more sometimes than your own emotions. The Bible also says you can't trust your natural understanding, which, which is the way things appear to you. You look at something and you go, this is the way I believe it is. But the Bible says trust in the Lord with all of your heart. That means with this right here, his book, Trust in it with all of your heart because he's the Lord of the book and it's the book of the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. The Bible warns there is a way that appears to be right if you're leaning on your own understanding. There are things that look right, seem right, feel right, taste right, smell right, but the Bible says they lead to death. So if you lean on your own understanding, your own understanding will lead you away from God. That's why we are to renew our minds, saturate them in the Word of God so that we can have God thoughts and not stinking thinking. 
as with our hearts, our natural understanding has been corrupted, affected by the fall. Here's the bottom line. God may, from time to time, allow us to experience a very taxing trial so that we may see our need for him in a fresh way. So Paul had this realization, me ain't getting me out of this. Then he had a revelation. Here's what I can trust in, the God who delivers. I can trust the God who delivers. Listen to what he said. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. In other words, we've learned to trust in a supernatural God who is so powerful, he raises dead things back to life. Remember how Isaiah described the ministry of Jesus? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach deliverance to the captives. So the anointing of the Spirit is the delivering power that breaks the yoke and sets us free. I'm going to tell you the truth about Christianity. Christianity is not a self-help message. Christianity is not made up of people who rehabilitated themselves. Can I tell you the truth today? I am not a rehabilitated man. I did not go through rehabilitation. I was saved in juvenile home as a 16-year-old boy who was all mixed up in drugs and all confused about life. But when I came out of jail a Christian, it was not because I had been rehabilitated. I'm not rehabilitated, and neither are you. We are the recipients not of rehabilitation, but of a transformation. A transformation. Real Christians are those who have experienced not a rehabilitation. They haven't turned over a new leaf. They haven't made a New Year's resolution, and that is how their change came. No, one day we were lost in our sin, and amazing grace, how sweet the sound, knocked on the door of my heart and yours. And when we said yes to Jesus, a mighty transformation happened that no man can bring to pass, that no self-will can ever bring about. But if any man be in Christ, he is in a microsecond, a brand new creation. All the old is passed away and all is become new. That's why we sing, my chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, his mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. Listen to the way Paul described us. As for you, turn your neighbor and say, that's you. He's talking about you. Don't look at me and say it. Tell your neighbor, he's talking about you. Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead. You were dead. No, Pastor Jeff, he's speaking metaphorically. I've never been dead. Oh, yeah, you were dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Your spirit man was dead. Corpse on a slab, dead. But here's what happened. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. 
Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. There we were, dead, 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 hellbound, dead, dead, dead. But the merciful God looked down on you and me and he made us alive with Christ and raised us up with Christ. He resurrected us from the dead. And so our Christian life began with the greatest deliverance of all, resurrection from spiritual death. Can you say with me, I'm a resurrected person. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand of praise because you are. You're resurrected from the dead. Now, let me close with this. Paul makes a great statement, and I want to really home in tight on this as we close. He said, this God who delivered, he delivered us from so great a death, past tense, and he does deliver us, present tense, in whom we trust he will still deliver us, future tense. He delivered us in the past, he's delivering us now, and he will deliver us in the future. Now watch with me for a moment. Lazarus died. And the Bible says that Mary and Martha, his two sisters, were very upset with Jesus because they sent a messenger to Jesus saying, hey, Lazarus is sick, you need to get here quick before he dies. What did Jesus do? He sat there. And day after day, he waited, and Lazarus died. Then the Bible says, when he had been dead four days, Jesus finally showed up. You talk about a day late and a dollar short. And Martha was the straight first one out there to talk to him. And she let him have it. She said, if only you'd been here, he would not have died. And here's Jesus, and this woman's telling him off. Here's God. This woman's telling God off. You're late. If you hadn't been late, he wouldn't have died. What what were you doing? Why weren't you here? I thought you loved him. And then Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Here goes Martha again. Oh, I know he's going to rise again at the resurrection of the last day, but I'm concerned all about now. Now I got a brother that's dead, says Jesus wept. And he said, I am the resurrection. And she didn't know what to do with that. He said, where is he? So they took him to the the stone. Here's Mary and Martha, steam coming out of both ears. You're late. How many of you have ever thought God was late? You're late. I, I had all this trouble. If you'd have showed up on time, we wouldn't be in this situation but you're late. And Jesus said, roll away the stone. Now watch this. Martha had a yesterday faith. If you had been here, she had a someday faith. He will come out of the grave someday. But what Jesus was after was a today faith. See, most of us have a great yesterday faith. Oh, I once was lost, but now I found was blind, but now I see. We sing amazing grace with the best of them. And we've got a faith that one day he's going to come again and we're all going to go up and be with the Lord. And we clap every time that's preached. But then you tell somebody, hey, he's the resurrection now. 
And we go, you go messing with it now, it stinketh. (laughs) Jesus said, roll away the stone. The stone represented her unbelief. She said, Lord, I got the yesterday faith, I got the someday faith, but today, forget it. If I roll that stone away, we're all going to be embarrassed because he stinks. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection, and resurrection power raises dead things. Dead marriages. Dead dreams. Dead faith. Dead hope. Let me in to your problem now. And I will touch it with resurrection power. They roll the stone away and they're all going, oh, here it comes. And Jesus spoke down into it. And he said, problem, dead thing, come out of there. Hello, Martha. Hello, Mary. Don't you know that they had a hug session? (laughs) And don't you know they looked at Jesus and said, Lord, forgive me. I had a yesterday faith and a someday faith, but not a today faith. And he wants all of us to know, and this is my message today. We serve a God who resurrects and he raises things that are dead today. It may look dead. It may be dead, but it's not over until God has had his say. Can we stand up together today? In this sanctuary, we have some things in our lives that are dead, dying, look hopeless. But I want us to give it to God. Can we hold our hands right up towards him? I am the resurrection and I am the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. I want you to give God that dying or dead thing in your life. You've run out of strength. You've run out of ideas. You've run out of hope. You don't know what to do. I want you to give it to God, the resurrector, right now. Say with me, Lord Jesus, I give to you, now fill in the blank. I'm going to speak a word of knowledge here for a second. You need to give God that child that has gone astray. And you are about to give up and you see no more hope. I want you to place that child in the hands of God right now. Say, Lord, I have a today faith. Today, 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 you are. Some of you are on your last leg in a marriage that's been troubled. I want you to give it to God today. Let him in. Don't leave a stone rolled over that 
tomb. I sense such an anointing here right now. Some of you are hesitant and reticent to give it to God because you've done it before. I'm telling you by God, do it again. Give it to him again. That habit you haven't been able to defeat, give it to him right now. You are not who the devil tells you you are. You are who God tells you you are. Fear must go. Doubt must go. Spiritual crippledness must go. I say to the Lord with me today, with your hands raised right up towards heaven, say, Lord, I give it to you and I believe that you are able to speak life into this and resurrection power over it in Jesus' mighty name.